Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hi, Dave. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, Peggy. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Did you have a good holiday season? Um, I did. I did. I am I'm very happy that it's over though. So I can understand. The, that. the kiddos were super, super excited and Santa Claus came, so that was fun. And my mom came down and spent Christmas Eve and Christmas morning at our house, and she's never done that before. So it was really special. It was nice. Awesome. Good. What about you? It's great. Um, we had um we had Christmas Day at home and then with my in-laws and and uh that was really nice we had a good time and then kara and i stole a few days away after christmas in rhode island i saw that yes very it's been a while nice. since we've been gone so it was fun and then celebrating um, your 26th anniversary correct Yes. I'm not some sort of stalker. It just, the the reference to the silver dollar pancakes popped up on my Facebook wall the day after Christmas. That's how I remembered. Ah, very good. Yes. 26 years. And then, um, and then New Year's was quiet. We stayed at home. I hate New Year's. I hate New Year's. I'm with you. It's not, I don't think it's a real holiday. Yeah, I just I you know the and I say it every year the television commercials switch from you know go ahead and eat a cookie life is great to you had too many cookies you're fat go on a diet and I just it's such a negative period of time I just hate it. It's the yin and the yang. It is, I know. <laughs> Um, so we do have a little bit of sad news to to share with our listeners um, and the community, and we do want to express our condolences because we lost a, a huge advocate in the limb loss community and a huge grassroots person and just a huge friend of Amped and Bill Nessel, um, who founded Amputee Connections in California passed away this week. Um, so it was very, very sad to learn that news. And, you know, our thoughts are with his friends and family and with his entire support group family. And, you know, I know that I'm really going to miss Bill and his wits. And he's offered so much support to so many new amputees and was such a strong force in the Amped Army that we are definitely going to miss him. Yeah, I, I I have nothing to add, Peggy. I think you've said it all. Just, you know, our thoughts and wishes are with Bill and his family and friends. So, very sad news. But um, today's podcast is, we're going to preface this ahead of time that this is a doozy. This is a very big topic. We toyed with different ways that we can kind of break up this information. And we decided the best way to do it is just, you know, dive into the new year and go deep and get as much information in this first podcast as we can. And what we're going to talk about, Dave, is why being a difficult patient is good. Why asking certain questions will help not only your physical bottom line, but your financial bottom line. And many times they are connected very deeply. Yeah, no question. Um, You know, this podcast arises um, out of some reading I was doing over the last week or two. And one of the things I've been spending a lot of time thinking about, Peggy, is how often we now read about these outrageous medical bills that people are getting, whether it's for emergency transportation or it's a, it's a charge um, related to something that happened during a hospital stay. And 
you know, I, I'm a real strong believer in no medical expense should ever be a surprise to the patient. And if it is a surprise, something has broken down. Um, and I thought that with deductibles resetting and now the out-of-pockets, annual out-of-pocket amounts resetting, people, you know, starting to be exposed financially at the beginning of the year, as always happens, in ways that they aren't at the end, I thought it might be smart for us to to dive into this topic and spend some time talking through ways that people in our community um, can can try to avoid these unexpected expenses. Absolutely. And in this episode, we're not we're not specifically focusing on prosthetics, but we do know that there are a lot of other health issues that many times accompany living life with a prosthesis. So this information really, it, it impacts everybody on some level, whether or not you're an amputee, you're going to be able to glean a lot of insight from, from the information that we're going to present. Hopefully that's the goal. Yes. Yes, it is. Do you want to frame out what the core problem is here before we dive into the solutions? Yes. Um, so, you know, you, you said that you really shouldn't be surprised by your bills. I'm always surprised by the bills. I, I will take my kid to the doctor for strep throat and it, it just feels like, you know, I'm there's a never-ending paper trail for about three months after that um, with the charge for this test and then the charge, you know, for the culture and then the pharmacy fee and just everything kind of adds up that there are a lot of surprises everywhere in the U.S. healthcare system. Um, especially at the end of last year, there were a lot of stories about unexpected and really outrageous charges. I remember one in particular about a, a woman who was medevaced somewhere and, and I think, you know, to save her life, they had to bring in a helicopter and then she was hit with like a $400,000, you know, transport fierce. It was some totally outrageous number that just makes you bang your head against a wall because what was she going to do? She had to be, she had to be medevaced out and then you're hit with all of these costs. Um, some of them obviously you can't avoid, but there is information that you can ask and you can kind of set yourself up for more success um, so that you are a little bit more prepared for the medical bills that are going to be coming, whether or not it comes from your regular family doctor, or if you are hospitalized from that whole system, from outpatient surgery to inpatient surgery, we're going to try to provide the the questions that you need to ask um, that, that, you know, it, it may feel counterintuitive that you may feel like you're actually being a difficult patient, when you press your physician on, well, why do I need this? Or what about this? And, and presenting different scenarios. But we're going to go into the information and explain why sometimes it's good to be difficult. Sometimes you need to, to press your physician and to press the hospital system to make sure that you're not only getting quality care, but that your financial bottom line is protected as well. Yeah. And if you don't do this, if you're a completely compliant patient, your physician will be very happy with you and you're probably going to pay a lot more, maybe exactly. for stuff that you don't need. So um, it, it's a balancing act. It definitely is. So let's dive in. All right. So um, we're going to go through uh, two main sections in this podcast. The first one is going to focus on 
physicians, and the second one is second part is going to focus more on hospitals. Uh, so we'll dive into both of those. But there's a group of questions that are really important to ask a physician um, when you are working with them, whether it's your first getting ready to select them, or even um, if it's someone you've seen for a long time. These are questions that you can and should be asking if you've never asked them before. And so, this, not to interrupt, Dave, but I will interrupt. Um, the, the, the beginning of the year is also a really good time to re-ask a lot of these questions because a lot of times contracts change, um, even with your medical provider, that, that you want to take this opportunity, your first visit of the year, to, to make sure that they're still in network or if any of those things changes. So these questions can go right along with what you should be asking anyway. Right. Right. So let's alternate through these, Peggy. I'll take the first one. Is the, is the physician's practice hospital owned or is it licensed as a surgery center? Um, and the reason you want to ask this question is hospital owned or, or surgery center offices are allowed to charge what are called facility fees on top of the normal healthcare fees that you normally um, are charged if you just go to an independent physician's office. So you want to know is the practice hospital owned or alternatively, is it licensed as a surgery center? Because if it is, you could get hit with those fees. If the answer to that question is yes, then you want to ask the obvious follow-up, which is, will facility fee charges be added to my bill? And if so, how much? Now, the wrinkle here that makes it somewhat challenging is that some doctor's offices may not be able to actually give you that information. If they are actually hospital owned or licensed as a surgery center, particularly hospital owned, very often, all of the billings being generated by the hospital centrally, not at that office physically. And so they may not even know what the invoice's ultimate, the final invoice looks like. But it's a question you should definitely be asking. And they, sh they will know if they're hospital owned or they're a surgery center. And it's something you can then drill down on to try to get clarity and so you don't get hit with uh, surprise fees there. And you can also follow up with their billing specialist if the doctor doesn't know or the receptionist that that they w should be able to give you a contact of somebody who will help you track down that information. Yes. Good point. Um, so my question is, will you only refer me to other in-network physicians? Um, remember, you don't want to ask, do you take my insurance? It's, are you in network with my insurance? You ideally want to only be referred to a specialist who is within your network uh, because it helps cost containment, help will keep your fees down. Um, but a lot of hospital-owned offices may be under pressure to refer you to a specialist affiliated with that hospital, regardless of what's going on with your insurance. So you want to make sure that you set the stage and the expectations that if I require a specialist, I need somebody who is in network, not necessarily within your system. Yeah. And this is one I'm going to, we're going to come back to a little bit later, Peggy, in ways we can try to insulate ourselves from out of network charges. Next question to ask your physician, are you going to send me to an in-network lab for blood work? And are you going to send me to an in-network imaging facility? The reason for this is very frequently, um, hospital affiliated practices will send you to the hospital lab. And while it's really convenient, could be in the exact same physical space, the problem with this is those costs can be up to 100 times higher than the same exact tests performed at a commercial lab like Quest. So um, you want to be careful here. And, you know, what drives this? I mean, it's not all um, 
there are systems in place at doctor's offices that kind of prompt them to try to send you to the place that they want you to go. So particularly if it's a hospital-owned practice, the hospital software, when it comes to these types of tests, is going to default to the hospital lab or the hospital imaging center. And it's actually inconvenient for them to click on something else to allow you to go outside of that. But that inconvenience doesn't mean that you should just swallow it and go and pay 100 times more than you should be paying. So ask this question. And if they are saying, well, um, yeah, typically refer you to the the in-network, sorry, to the... uh, to the hospital-based lab, um, as opposed to just an in-network commercial lab, you can ask them, please write me a script. I want to go to the Quest down the street. Um, I'll set up the appointment separately. Exactly. Sometimes it's a little bit more inconvenient um, to do it that way, but you will end up saving. Yep. Um, So you also want to know if they're going to charge for phone calls and for filling out forms. And this kind of just gives you a little bit of an insight into the doctor and the the practice's commitment to their patients. Yep. Um, And and this may sound crazy and maybe no one's actually seen this, but there are some physician's offices that charge you for phone calls and they will they will charge you for you filling out their forms. Um, it's something that isn't often all that visible unless you really pour over your invoices. And we'll talk about itemized invoices in a bit too. But um, it's something you need to be sensitive to. And then um, the final question when choosing a physician is uh, the question, will you see me if I'm hospitalized and do you have weekend coverage? And the, the reason you want to ask this is that in everywhere else in the world, including historically the United States, these were essential services that any doctor provided. They would see you if you're hospitalized and they would have weekend coverage of some kind. But over the last 25 years in particular, many practices in the U.S. have started outsourcing these types of services. So they won't see you if you're hospitalized. You'll have to go see somebody else. And or there is no weekend coverage. You're going to have to go to the urgent care on the weekend. So if you have a doctor who is unwilling to see you if you're hospitalized and doesn't have weekend coverage, those are the kinds of red flags that would lead me, certainly, Peggy, to say, you know what, I may like you personally a great deal, but this is not the kind of practice that I just want to be affiliated with. I want to practice where if I am hospitalized or if I something goes wrong on the weekends, I know that I can access my primary care physician. Good things to know. Um So my question is, do you know how much this test, this exam, or the proposed surgery is going to cost? They should be able to give you an estimate for for how much out-of-pocket these things are going to be costing you. Um, And sometimes, you know, the simplest test can be thousands of dollars and not even thousands of dollars. I know, you know, a simple strep test will show up on my insurance bills like $380. I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, And don't accept I don't know or it depends on your insurance. Uh, That's not an answer. That's an out. So push to try to get the, the correct information on that. Yeah. And Peggy, I've been I've been reading a lot and going to some conferences recently that are actually targeted at the hospital physician community. And one of the recurring themes in all of these is that uh, patients deserve a clear 
estimate of what their costs will be. Um, and in cer- some countries around the world, this is a patient right. The doctor actually has a commitment. It is, it's part of the doctor's obligation to educate the patient about their financial responsibilities. Um, and that makes perfect sense to me. I'm sure it makes perfect sense to anybody who's listening to this, but it's not the way it works in the U.S. Instead, we get these explanation of benefits with, um, charges we don't understand. We can't get the estimates up front on what it costs. Um, and it's just not right. You have a right to ask for this. They have an obligation to provide you something. If you're not getting a clear answer, keep at it and force them to, to give you something more than, uh, well, it's, you know, it, we'll know afterwards, uh, could be complicated. It's just exactly. Not I mean, you get the explanation of benefits, but again, that's after the tests, the exam or the surgery already happened. And it's kind yep. of, you're, you're fighting a losing battle at that point. Yep. Next question to ask a physician when you're at the office, how will this test exam or surgery change my treatment? And what you're, what you're really driving at here is, is this, is this test exam or surgery, is it essential? Do I have to have it? And if the answer to this question is, well, it won't really change your treatment, but it would just be good to know this. Like it's a good thing to know. Yes. You know know what? You don't, that's telling you, you don't really need that test um, and you shouldn't do it. Um, There really needs to be a compelling need for the test and exam. And if the doctor cannot articulate that to you clearly, you should, you should really dig in your heels. And kind of along that vein is, are there cheaper alternatives to the tests that you're recommending that are just as good. Um, Again, it can be even if you need to go to a different blood lab to get it done, um, or if you need, if you get a prescription and if you do it through the mail, many times it's cheaper than getting it filled at the doctor's office, all of those things you need to find out. Yep. Um, Here's an interesting one. Ask the doctor, how does the location of the test, exam, or surgery affect the price of what I'm going to be billed? Here's the thing. The same thing that is, the same procedure that is performed in a doctor's office can be much cheaper um, than if it's done at the hospital where the physician sometimes sees patients just as part, you know, as you, as many of you probably know, doctors, sometimes they're in the office Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but Tuesday, Thursday are their surgery days in the hospital. Um, and if they say, well, you know, you can have it done either here or there, but the best day for me, the doctor is, is, is Thursday when I'm in the hospital, you could get charged up to twice as much, uh, for that service simply because you're in that hospital setting. Um, and another, another interesting, um, thing about location, if the physician refers you to an ambulatory surgery center or what's called an ASC is the acronym for that. Ask the physician if they're an owner in it, because if they're an owner of the ASC, then they're making money from referring you to themselves for the procedure, even if they're not the ones doing the surgery. And um, hopefully, if you ask the question and that's going on, the doctor will at least feel some degree of shame about um, engaging in that practice. I've actually encountered that with um, imaging centers as well. Yes. Many times doctors will will own or be a share owner in the imaging center. Um, Always just feels a little shady. Well, and it's a lot of experts hypothesize that this is one of the reasons why imaging um, tests are ordered at an exponentially higher rate in the United States than anywhere else in the world. Because nowhere else in the world do you have this kind of structure where the physician 
owns the clinical practice, but then also has a share in the radiology center down the street. Right. Um, so of course, if, if you if you if you see the patient here, now I can I can get the bill for seeing the patient here, and I can get a charge for referring him to the radiology center that I'm a part of. This is not saying, by the way, I don't we don't want to imply that doctors are crooks and that this is illegal. It's not. It's just that there are financial incentives to behave in a particular way. Not all doctors do this. And we're just letting you know that these are questions you should ask. Um, so another one that, that I think is always tricky, and I'm really glad that you included it in the notes, is who else is going to be involved in my proposed treatment? And are they also in network? Many times if you, if you need surgery, your surgeon, you know if they're in network. But then when you go into the operating room, all of a sudden there's the anesthesiologist who may actually not be within your network. You want to make sure that anybody who's going to be working with you in your treatment is either in network or you're aware of their status. Yep. Uh, and and again, we're we're gonna we're gonna circle back to the issue of surprise, out of network charges or or sort of well, look, let's call them hidden until you get the bill out of network charges. We're gonna come to that in just a second, Peggy. Let's let's shift to the hospital and why don't why don't you take the first one here? Don't passively accept a private room. You know, it's really really nice. I get that. Um, hospitals actually have an oversupply of private rooms, so you may automatically be put in one, and then you may discover later that you were hit with a fee for it. Um, if you are put in a private room, make sure that you let them know that you didn't request it, that you know you appreciate the courtesy, and while it's always nice, this is not something that you requested to make sure that that, that extra sur- supplement charge is not added to your bill. Yeah. And if you, um, you may also want to tell them that you're willing to be in a room, a, a normal room, not a private room. Um, if you really want to make, make it clear and, and have uh, defense down the road, if they try to hit you with that charge. I the remember one, Dave, I'm yeah, sorry. I remember when I was in the hospital for my amputation, they, it wasn't until after the surgery that I found out that there was a $15 a day TV charge. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I remember the TV charge as well from when I was in the hospital. That's one of the few things that I was willing to pay for because I was like, I'm stuck here and it's awful. And at least I have something that I can do to, to kill time. I would have paid $50 a day for the TV the way I was feeling. Um, next, this is, this is a big one. Don't just blindly sign the, I accept financial responsibility for all non-covered charges document that you sign at every hospital. Don't sign that blindly and do nothing else. Um, Every hospital requires you to sign a document like this, one that says, um, I will accept financial responsibility for non-covered charges. But we've been talking a lot about this in-network versus out-of-network split. And a lot of people, when especially for uh, voluntary um, hospital visits where, you know, it's scheduled, they're going in, um, to the hospital that of their choosing, they very, you often choose that hospital because it's in network. Your expectation is therefore your charges are going to be in network charges only. And Peggy just pointed out a few minutes ago, the scenario where that anesthesiologist who you've never really met until the day of the surgery turns out is an out of network provider. And you get who with a separate charge after the surgery from the anesthesiologist for half the cost of the surgery itself. So how do you how do you deal with a situation when you're in a hospital? 
always write the following phrase on that I accept financial responsibility for non-covered claims document. And here's the phrase, as long as the providers are in my insurance network. You just write that in, then you sign and date it. And that way, if they hit you with those charges down the road, you can say, wait a second, I explicitly wrote on this document that I did sign that I would accept financial responsibility for non-covered charges so long as the providers are in my network. If they're out-of-network providers, I did not agree to that. And then you would advance a, a further argument saying, I will, I'm happy to pay the in-network amount, but that's it. Um, now, so Dave, this is a really get, important one. Are you going to get pushback for, for writing that on when you're doing your intake forms? You, they may say, well, you, you can't do this or what are you doing? And your answer is, this is what I am doing. This is, you know, they're not, I, it's very unlikely that they are going to stop the surgery because you have done this. Okay. You have a right as a patient to, to say, look, you know, I'm going to an in-network hospital. I expect that my charges will all be in-network. I'm trying to avoid surprise fees. It's my expectation that this is the case. And I'm just making it clear. I like that. Okay. Yeah. As long as the providers are in my insurance network. Yep. Well done. All right. Um, and the next one is when you're when you're going to the hospital and you know that you're going to be spending the night, you need to find out if you're being admitted or if you're being held for observation. Observation means that you're an outpatient and it exposes you to outpatient coinsurances and deductibles, which are generally higher than inpatients. Unless there's a good reason to maintain observation status, always try to push to be admitted. Yep. And this is one I didn't know about. This is one of those, oh, I had no idea. And and I have I've had situations with Kara where this is the case in the last few years where we went to the hospital and it's like, well, they're holding you, we're gonna hold you for observation. And had I known this at that time, I would have said, Well, if you're gonna be keeping her in here overnight, no matter what, I don't want it to be observation status, admit her. Uh, because that would have would have protected us better. All right, let's talk for a few minutes, Peggy, about dealing with bills specifically. We've done oh, physicians, oh. we've done hospitals, and I said at the beginning, those were the two main parts. I forgot that there's a whole section of this dealing with bills. So let's go through this. First of all, if you get an outrageous bill, don't wait. Don't hope that everything will just work itself out. Start negotiating immediately because here's the deal. Hospitals have an enormous incentive to negotiate downwards. And the reason for that is if they end up sending you to collections, they're going to lose 50% or more in most instances of the value of that claim. It's going to get picked off by the, the entity that they've hired to deal with collections. And they're also probably not going to get full payment anyway at that point. So it's in their interest to negotiate. And, um, very frequently, you can you can knock these charges down by 50% or more right off the bat dealing with a low-level claims employee at the, at the hospital or billing person at the hospital itself. So uh, don't hesitate. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this, um, John Oliver, the, the HBO um, celebrity who, who does the, I think it's called The Weekly Show, um, John Oliver did a whole expose on this. And he essentially acquired uh, intentionally something like $15 million in medical debt and got it carved down to a, a very small percentage of that um, 
over the course of you know a relatively discrete period of time. So if anyone's interested, Google John Oliver and medical bills, and you'll probably pull that up, and you can you can see this in action. Wow. And we will, um, you know what, we'll try to Google it and post the link in our Amped Army. Network. Yeah, that's a good idea. Ampedlife.com. All right. Um, so my tip for dealing with bills is to request complete itemization of all bills. Um, hospitals especially are notorious for sending bills with general charge areas and not specifics. You have the right to itemization. Um, the hospitals have to do it. They can't hide behind HIPAA or other issues to block that disclosure. If the, if the hospital threatens to send you to collections because you haven't paid and you have not yet received your itemized bill, tell them that you're waiting for the itemized bill and disputing the charges to protect your credit record. Yep. Absolutely important. <clears throat> and even if they have sent you to collections and collections is calling you, say the same thing. If you've not gotten the itemized charges, hospitals are notorious for taking months to produce these these invoices for people. Um, make sure that you're very clear with them that I'm disputing all of these charges. I have not yet received an itemized bill from the hospital. There you go. All right. Next. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to choke to death here as I'm getting over a cold. <coughs> So I do, you want me to take, do you want me to take the next one? No, I think I'm all right. Um, you need to protest all of your bills in writing, not by phone. And the reason you want to do this is you want to create a record. And if you're having particular problems, um, there are a few things you can do to try to escalate pressure on the people sending you the bills. For outrageous charges, send a copy of the letter disputing them to your local newspaper. Stay, send a letter to the state's insurance commissioner or to the Consumer Protection Bureau. Hospitals, while they have a lot of leverage because they're big and powerful, um, they do not like bad press. And if they learn, because you're writing CC on these letters, that the state insurance commissioner is involved, that a, a local newspaper has been notified, they're much more likely to pay attention to try to um, reach an amicable or a more amicable solution with you than to really dig in and insist that the outrageous charge is correct. Um, again, in the in the book that I was reading, Peggy, that led to this podcast, one of the examples was a woman whose son got cut on the cheek, three stitches, out of network, uh, 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 plastic surgeon, $50,000 invoice. And she actually wrote the professional association um, of, of physicians who do plastic surgery. And they stepped in and, and basically told the doctor, you are way out of line with any, any norm and we're going to take action if you don't address this. And he ended up reducing it to $5,000, which is still outrageous, by the way, for three stitches. But That's better crazy. Than 50. Definitely yeah. better than – yeah, no kidding. Um, so my tip is to challenge surprise out of network charges. Um, if your hospital is in network and you get charged for an out of network provider, argue that you didn't consent to their involvement in your care. Remember that statement that you wrote on the signing the financial um, declaration? That's when that really can come into play. Uh, you went to an in-network hospital so that all of your care would be covered. Explain that you weren't told about the out-of-network provider at beforehand and say that you're willing to pay the in-network charges, 
but that you're not going to pay the the difference for the provider being out of network. Yep. Uh, this is something we've sort of alluded to already, but um, you get hit with these really dig in. Um, the, the, the underlying principle here is, is an argument called a legal concept of implied consent. And you haven't, you haven't given implicit consent for out of network charges in this scenario. And so you're, you're arguing that you didn't give that, that consent to them. That's, that's what all of that boils down to. So with that being said, Peggy, let, we've, we've actually covered all the material. So let me, let me try to just give a general high level summary. And then I want to refer people to, if they're interested, um, to the book you can read uh, that has a whole history um, about the development of US healthcare and, and why these steps are now necessary. But the summary, first of all, you have a right to know what your healthcare costs are, um, and you shouldn't ever be surprised by invoices and charges, at least in theory. Unfortunately, the current system promotes ambiguity and surprises all the time. And so you have to actively engage to protect your financial interests. We often talk about members of the AMPED Army being AMPED activists. Well, activism isn't just at the governmental level, it's also being an activist for your own financial security when it comes to your healthcare costs. And in this context, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the original thing, Peggy, tick, uh, pick, uh, why does why have I lost the ability to speak? That Peggy signaled at the beginning of the podcast, she said, you know, being a difficult patient is good. Um, being difficult, difficult here means asking questions that doctors might not and hospitals might not want you to ask, but that are completely legitimate questions. It's something to be proud of and you shouldn't shy away from it. You're, you know, you can make lots of friends, but get screwed in the process if you don't do this. And we don't want members of the amped army ever to be taken advantage of or simply through passivity, um, end up paying more than they should have for their health care. For those who are interested in the, um, in the book addressing this, it is called um, An American Sickness, How Healthcare Became Big Business. And it is written by an author named Elizabeth Rosenthal. She herself uh, was a physician. She then was a reporter for a national newspaper and currently works for the Kaiser Family Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that focuses on healthcare issues, uh, both locally and globally. Uh, really well written and very interesting, particularly the history. If you really want to get infuriated, um, read the history of sort of how insurance developed in the United States and how, um, why we pay as much as we do compared to other countries. It really just sort of a lot of weird twists and turns in US history that led us to the system that we have. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's what we've got. And we're trying to give you tools to, to push back and, and improve it. So Dave, I, I think that's a great summary. The only thing I would add is I think it's very normal to kind of feel still intimidated by the the authority of physicians and hospitals and you're already feeling vulnerable and you're probably not feeling well and there's a lot of things going on. So I think we're kind of groomed to shy away from from this type of advocacy. And that's really what we're talking about here is advocating for yourself. And although it feels uncomfortable, it's something that's really necessary. And you shouldn't be intimidated by 
by the the degree that the individual has, um, because ultimately what they're prescribing, what they want to do is going to impact you not only physically, but financially as well. So you do have a right. And I really encourage everybody to, to become a little bit more involved in your health care by asking some of these hard questions. I have nothing to add to that. I think that's exactly right, Peggy. And, um, you know, if you, a lot of content here, check out our show notes. The show notes go through all of everything we just talked through in detail. So um, it's, it's a great resource and hopefully you'll find it useful uh, the next time you go to your doctor or God forbid, the next time you find yourself in a hospital. Hopefully this will allow you to save a few bucks that you, you didn't save historically. Well done. Thank you so much for putting this one together. This was a lot of information. It was my pleasure. We hope everyone finds it useful. All right. We'll talk soon, Dave. All right. Thanks, Peggy. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.